Proverbs, next week Proverbs, and then we start Advent. Um, and and I, I hesitate on whether or not to tell you all this before faith comes up because um, I, I'm, it's one of those darned if you do, darned if you don't, okay? It's one of those Sundays where uh, the Saturday before 7.30, I get a text from my best friend, Anthony, who he and I are supposed to be team teaching today. And he says, hey, bro, not going to make it tomorrow because he has allergies, basically. Um, a little case of the sniffles. And so I have a decision to make. Either one, I'm like, I can take the team teaching and do my best Anthony impression and be like, God, because uh, he does this and fixes his glasses. And I could do that. That's an option. Uh, and pretend like I came up with his thoughts and ideas in the really long Tim Keller quote that he wants to read again. Um, or two, I'm like, I'll just invite Silas. Silas does a better Anthony impression than I could do. <laughs> or Mike or Bill, one of those guys. Or uh, we can save that sermon for next week because it's done. And that makes Thanksgiving week easier. And we can just create a fresh sermon out of scratch. So here's what normally happens on a given week. I like to think of it like you get a slow cooked meal over the course of a couple weeks, you know, and then it's presented. I know that Anthony takes more time than I do, obviously. Um, <laughs> but today it's a little more microwaved, all right? So uh, <laughs> Faith is going to read for us all of Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, the title, if you want one, is The Wisdom of Love. So Faith will read, pray, and then we will get after it. So, good morning. I wasn't that long. So, thanks for the long one. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, he is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Father, thank you so much for your wise words of understanding, of 
loving us even through our frailties and knowing how much guidance we need. Please bless John as he gives us more clarity and more depth of understanding of your words. And bless us all, open our hearts, our minds, the eyes of our hearts, so that we can live in your ways and walk the righteous paths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Faith. And so as we've been traveling these last seven weeks, we've seen quite a bit about wisdom. That's what Proverbs is all about. It's part of the three major books of wisdom in Scripture, uh, which include Ecclesiastes and Job. And what we've seen is that Scripture describes wisdom as this creative, humanizing force in the world. It is what God has used to create all things, and it's what God uses to guide his people towards life and flourishing. And even though the world is not as it should be, read again Genesis 3 over and over and over, it just, the story repeats itself. God's still at work imparting this force, this wisdom to his people. In their life, we've looked at work, marriage, family, singleness, direction, for, and next week, I, I hope, friendship. If he's out, you're teaching alongside me, Beth. That God is still speaking, he's still pursuing, he's still loving his people. And a phrase, I don't know who came up with it, but the, I love is that God is calling us to go with the grain of the universe. That's his direction, going with the grain of the universe. If you've ever worked with wood, uh, that is an important thing to do. When you go against the grain of the universe, it hurts, splinters under your fingernails. Just, just think about that image for a second and feeling. That's what ignoring the plan and path God has for us is. And so he's calling us to go with the grain of the universe, not in a dictatorial, you know, uh, detached kind of way, but in this relational, learning, loving kind of way. That's something I have to remember again and again. I often settle um, the Christian faith just to be mere facts and information, doctrine, just transfer it. And, and I think we're in a height of learning type culture. We have all this information at our fingertips and we listen to it with podcasts and audiobooks that we never have any more information than we currently have right now. And that's not merely what the Christian faith is about. There is information, yes, but it's more about transformation and relationship and learning with God and his people alongside each other. And you see this in chapter two of Proverbs. You see this call as there's these speeches in the first 10 chapters that there's this activity. Again, not just simply learn some facts about God, but this activity of faith. There's a call to receive, to treasure, to be attentive, to incline, to call out, to raise a voice, to seek, to search for God's wisdom. And it's somewhat all-encompassing for life. It, it sets us on this path towards understanding, towards the fear of the Lord, towards finding the knowledge of God. But what's good is that it's not only us pursuing God, you see this vision of a God who also pursues his people. 
Proverbs chapter 2 gives us a glimpse. It says, for the Lord, that Hebrew word is Jehovah. And I looked it up, you know, again, this is 6 o'clock this morning. <laughs> which title of God is that? It's Jehovah, which just simply means the existing one. The term is first introduced in Genesis chapter 2. And it's just the one who is God. This ever-present loving person and force in the universe, he gives he speaks, he stores up, he shields, he guards, and he watches over his people. So you see that, that wisdom is this loving force from God in the midst of the world that calls people out to seek after him. And as that happens, he is seeking after us. It is active and relational, though we often lose sight of that. The constancy of God. I think it's D.A. Carson who has a book, The God Who Is There. Even now, and even as I'm speaking, words can seem trite given what your life may actually be. What your life may actually be and what you may actually be experiencing, you go, yeah, that all sounds great. I know I'm supposed to, supposed to pursue God and I know, yeah, God's pursuing me. But right now that just feels like dry data. It, it, it's not something that's felt or experienced or lived in your reality right now. You can feel this morning as though you're wandering lost and you're going, where are you, God? And the good news is that scripture gives us a ton of space for those seasons. I actually came across a prayer uh, yesterday, one of my favorite books of all time, Every Moment Holy. There's, this is the third and newest volume. Um, it's a collection of liturgies, prayers, and all of that uh, for all sorts of different things. Like this one, liturgies of the moment. There's a liturgy for election day. That'll be handy next year. I will post it on the blog. <laughs> Upon lighting a candle, for some of you, nighttime infant feedings, okay? There's all sorts of stuff across three volumes. This is the third and newest. And this is a bit of an extended prayer, but it's for those who feel distant from God by Heidi Johnston. She's Irish, so if you want to imagine it in an Irish accent, could be helpful or not. I'm not gonna attempt it. I know. <laughs> you all. Jehovah. Uh, anyways, uh, that's Jehovah Shalom, God of our peace. You promised that your burden would be light. Yet here I am, shoulders bent under the weight of a silence that is long and heavy. I call to you and wait and hear no answer. I cry to you, but do not hear your voice. I'm as one overtaken on a mountain path by thick mist and fog. I cannot see my way. Untethered, I feel the loss, not of you alone, but also of myself and who I am in you. I recall with longing days when the waters parted at your command and you carried me father-like into your presence. When your loving kindness was the whisper that revived my weary soul. When your presence was the pillar that marked my path by day. And your voice the flame that banished darkness and kindled my song in the night. Oh God, my God, where is your comfort now? Why has your voice stilled? Have I wavered or wandered from your path? 
Has my heart been drawn away? Search me, O God, and find within me any pride that causes me to stand at a distance, even as I mourn your absence. Any sin that brings dishonor to your name, grieving your spirit and robbing me of the intimacy that I so crave or so long to crave. If my heart is drifted, help me trust your grace and look you in the eye once more. Or, if this distance is instead a hidden blessing, then let me be found faithful. If in this season of loneliness, your silence simply offers me a chance to do what will never be asked of me again, in all our eternity to come, to trust without sight, believing that time will vindicate my hope and prove you ever constant, then give me the courage to stand, trusting that these lines I throw out are not cast into emptiness, but passing through the veil have taken hold of things eternal. Give me boldness now, even as I doubt, even as doubt crouches at my door, that I may choose to anchor my heart, not in the ebb and flow of feelings, but in what I know to be true, that your word can be trusted, that your promises unbroken in all of history remain constant for me, that you are still who you have shown yourself to be, unchanging in holiness, extravagant in grace, relentless in love. If you are both the beginning and the end, the first and the last, then what was true when light first illuminated the horizon remains true even in my disenchantment. If you are outside of time, seeing all of history in a single glance, then this moment of doubt is simply that one point in eternal story, which at its consummation will prove you were always steadfast. Could it be that even now within this darkness, you are shaping and preparing me, deepening my trust and forming within me a richness of love or a truer humility, which will one day be used in your kingdom or for your glory in ways I cannot yet understand. If so, then fix my eyes on what for now is hidden from my view. Hold my soul fast, O God of my salvation, that I may praise you even here within the silence, for you are my rock and my redeemer, my stronghold, and the sustainer of my faith. Amen. I don't know where you find yourself today if that is the particular season that you're in, but this is what Proverbs is meant to shape us for. This speech is though from a father to a son is preparing that individual for every single season of life. One where we are still called to receive, treasure, attend, incline, call out, raise, seek, and search for God's wisdom and path and plan in our lives knowing that as we do that, he is still, even though it is not always felt, the one who is working, who is giving, who is shielding, who is doing all of these things alongside us. Wisdom sets us on a path of understanding for living. And because it isn't merely mental, God calls us to experience and live into wisdom in the nooks and crannies of everyday life. That we allow God's wisdom to seep into every single pocket of our soul. But if you are like me, then you tend to get a little bit impatient with that process. The image that came to mind this morning is that of buttering bread. You get a hot piece of toast, you get a nice slab of butter, and you put it on there, and I often don't have the patience 
to spread it nice and gently and evenly as it is intended to be. All four corners completely, perfectly. No, it's like the butter's cold, I don't have time. Smash, smash, fold it up. It's all going to the same place anyways. Live. But there's a slowness in this process. Giving it time, being gentle, paying attention that then works into every single aspect and area of our lives. That's verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You cannot fast forward that in a lifetime. You, you cannot accelerate that. It comes with time. They're active words for everyday life. And as we live into our calling that God gives for us, trusting that God is faithful to his promise and his provision and his plan, then we find direction and we sense God's spirit in life. Now, I, at times, and I think I've given this illustration before, wish as though it were a GPS, turn-by-turn -turn kind of thing. Go here, perfect, I'm here. Now turn here, okay. And then go there, and then this, and then that. But that's not the life of faith. It's a pilgrimage. It's more of a compass, and Jesus is the North Star, head towards him. And in that journey, heck, the, one of the best-selling books of all time, Pilgrim's Progress, there's that joy, there's that togetherness, there's that sense, and then there's dangers aplenty. And you see that in Proverbs chapter 2. It covers the scope of life. There's a theme throughout the Proverbs that we haven't done a deep dive on, and today is not necessarily going to be the day either. You can look at, uh, I believe it's, yeah, uh, chapter 5, this image of the adulterous woman. And you see that in chapter 2. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words. Who forsakes the companion of her youth, forgets the covenant of her God. You see, we need this discretion, this understanding, this delivering that is uh, promised in verse 11, 12, 13, because there's the problems of verse 13, 14, 15, and onward. The opportunities to abandon the faith are many, and so the call throughout Proverbs is to watch the warnings. Again, because you're getting a sermon that was prepared in about an hour and a half, you get some recycled content here, but I have said this before, and I will say it again, I always take heart when I see in the scripture and throughout human history that it's always been weird and wonky. That there's always been temptation, there's always been trouble, there's always been trials for God's people. The stuff that we are facing today, yes, has its unique challenges and nobody's ever lived this day ever before, so sure. However, if you look throughout history, it's always been weird. It's always been strange. God's people have always been going, what? what? How do we live faithfully in the midst of this? That's not a new experience. There have always been trials, tribulations, and temptations for God's people. There's always been forbidden women and men forsaking and forgetting, and human history is marked with the wreckage of it. And rather, though, Scripture, rather than calling us towards fearfulness 
or worrying or freezing. The text simply says, walk and keep. And in verse 22, God's going to sort through it all one day. 21, the upright will inhabit the land. Those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. And so though God is attempting to catch our gaze with his. For those of you that have kids from time to time, there's that moment where they panic or they're freaking out, they're in pain or they don't know what's going on. And at least in my family, I say, eyeballs, eyeballs. Let me see your eyeballs. And they look and there's that spot and that moment of connection where you're like, yes, it's hard. Yes, you hurt, but it's going to be okay. This pain is not going to be forever. This worry is not going to have the last word. It's going to be okay. And again and again through scripture, there's these moments in these, these calls that, that set our eyes forward to go, God's going to take care of it. And that roots us and grounds us in the present. Though the pain may be all you can feel in here. Though the, the worry and the fear and the whatabouts may be all encompassing. God's saying, look at me. I will have it settled one day fully and finally. One day this faith that you're practicing will be sight. He has his children in the palm of his hand. And we're not immune from the questions. And again, as we looked at the prayer earlier, the distance. But in that, he's calling us to a life together with him in the midst of the world. Now, the temptation that Christians face on one side we, we have this vacillation. On one, it's like we see what is wrong with the world and in ourselves. More often, it's easier to see all the problems out there rather than look in the mirror. Maybe we'll get to that in a little bit. But we look at it and we go, and, and we kind of want to disengage, pull back, and go, I'll just stay over here then. Or on the other side, we see all the problems in the world and we all of a sudden take these people who either are actual enemies or we want to demonize them. And rather than living into the narrative of scripture and the call of God, we do this othering with all those people, whoever they may be for you. We have this tendency, rather than living into the life of love that God has for us in his way of wisdom, we go, it's easier to keep them at arm's distance, to, to choose hate, to be frustrated, and just mark them as enemies when that's not what God has for his people. I'm working through this book, Beartown, by Frederick Bachman, uh, one of my favorite novelists, and I read this last night. He says, hate can be a deeply stimulating emotion. The world becomes much easier to understand and much less terrifying if you divide everything and everyone into friends and enemies, we and they, good and evil. The easiest way to unite a group isn't through love because love is hard. It makes demands. Hate is simple. So the first thing that happens in a conflict is that we choose a side because that's easier than trying to hold two thoughts in our heads at the same time. The second thing that happens is we seek out facts that confirm what we want to believe, comforting facts, ones that permit life to go on as normal. And the third is that we dehumanize our enemy. You see why I like reading this stuff? And I think that temptation is alive and well within 
the church. Within our context in America, we love to do this politically. Us and them, good guys and bad guys. And wisdom calls us to a more beautiful and complex reality that is called love. If we see scripture and we watch the warnings that are there in the world, yes, it is a dangerous and scary place with temptations aplenty, but it still sends us to learn and live in the life of God's love. That's the shape of the entire story of the Bible and the wisdom of God's love that is active and present in the world today. That God is still creating, speaking, and pursuing, and demonstrating his steadfast love through his people. And what I need is more and more to see and engage with that. And let that shape my heart, let that shape my words, let that shape my imagination. Not just simply ideas, morals, doctrine, political persuasions, though there are ideas, morals, doctrine, and political persuasions within it, but allow this wisdom of God, that is love, to shape all of life. And this collection of Proverbs come to a people who wouldn't always heed it. I mean, the author himself, Solomon, would not always heed his own advice. You can read about him in you know, Samuel King's Chronicles. You go, whoa, God gave him all this wisdom, accumulates it, and then wiles out with more wives and concubines than one ever should have. <laughs> if it's more than one, too many. <laughs> just wife, not even concubines. Concubines are just like a no, <laughs> no go. I, pastor said, stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. But I was heartened in this even this morning because I'm like, I don't, I don't live into this. You can, you can ask my wife, you can ask my son. Grumpy Gus yesterday and the day before, just been in a total funk. And, and I want to blame Anthony, had nothing to do with him at all. <laughs> just me. It shapes our living. And even though we don't heed it, God's love isn't merely words or sentimental. I like the word saccharine, overly, fakely sweet. It's like the, the waitress, ah, oh, sweetie. Mm. <laughs> Again, my everything's showing here. What's so wild about this story, and this is what we're preparing our hearts for in Advent, is that love takes on a human suit. And he enters in. And if you see Jesus, he's present in the world. So much peace he brings into a chaotic, wicked, first century Roman world. He's there. His approach with people he demonstrates and gives a parable of that love through one of the most famous in Luke 15, 16, the prodigal son. That he's the God that runs after the son who is returning home. 
that he's a God that allows people to take advantage of him, squander the gifts that he gives, and in the moment of their repentance in return, he is running after them. Then he demonstrates that parable as he's calling out tax collectors and sinners. And we'll get into this next week. He, he's the friend of them. He's not just a fearless leader. Follow me and I'll teach you how to be a less worse tax collector and not as horrible of a sinner. No, he, he loves them and welcomes them at his table. He, in John 8, as this woman is caught in adultery and the Pharisees and religious rulers throw her and are like, hey, here's a perfect person to kill because she was caught in sin. Jesus protects her and sees her and saves her and says, where are those who would condemn you? As they all trickled off in this mysterious story, he says, I don't condemn you. Go in sin no more. What kind of love is that? One that gets in the grill of the Pharisees, Sadducees, religious rulers, those that would put on additional weight and burden on God's people, warns them with the strongest words, says this to the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. He's setting out on his journey. A man runs up to him, kneels before him, and asks him, good teacher, must, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus this he looks at him and he loves him and he says to him you lack one thing go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me but this is so heartbreaking disheartened by the saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions what do you sense and see when the gaze of God looks at you and calls you and challenges you? Perhaps that's a sell everything you have, give to the poor, come follow me. When, when Jesus asks you to sacrifice, when he sees into your soul, sees that idol that you have, that you carry, that keeps you at relationship from God, from others, from even knowing yourself truly and fully, does that dishearten you, or do you see and sense that perfect, wise love coming after you? You see the wisdom of this love, a love that doesn't call us to anything that he himself is not willing to do. God, the creator of the universe, had everything and gives it all up for the sake of love. He doesn't call that rich young ruler to something he didn't already do and what he would demonstrate on the cross. So how can we walk in this kind of wisdom? How do we know if we are aligning with 
this love, this wisdom in everyday life today? Um, what are the signs? What are the symbols? It's no, it, it, it's, it's no uh, surprise. I enjoy running a lot, um, probably more than I should. And one of the things about running is you're constantly monitoring your heart rate to know where you're at and how you're feeling, to know what the effort is, how much further you can go, all of those things. You're, you're looking for the signs, symbols, the, the things in the body and the brain and the heart to, to know what effort to give and how much more to push. I think there's, I'm going to offer up five for this morning, signals of walking in God's wisdom. And then we'll close. First, roots in reality. That faith and following are meant to form real life in love. And so if you're settling for a faith that is merely informational, merely doctrinal, merely accumulation of data, it's selling you short. Because faith in Christ calls us to follow and it forms a real life in love. And I think one of, the, one of the weirdest things going on right now is tethering ourselves to reality. I'm not going to go on a total rant about AI, but man alive, it ought to slow us down. First, before you repost something, like actually look up, is this true? Is this real? Like God is in the midst of the dust and the dirt smiles and tears in real life. And while we have digital gifts in technology, yes, uh, do not forget the real people in front of you and in the mirror and around you and how God meets us there. If you want a little wonderful book, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, it's about a monk who finds the delight in everyday duties of dishes at a monastery. He says this, we ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. And so we need to be rooted in reality, real life with real people. Wisdom meets us there. The second thing from Proverbs 2, watch the warnings. Do you see the warnings of God where you are in life? All of us are a handful of decisions away from completely shipwrecking our lives. It's whatever you have is the check engine light that pops on. Is like, hey, watch it. God's spirit speaking, moving, working, going, here's, here's reality, here's wisdom. If you're like me, like pushing boundaries, I don't know what, like somebody says, don't do that. I'm like, watch me. That's not smart. Well, it's dumb. Anyways, don't need that story. And Jesus said, again, there's going to be trials, there's going to be troubles, there's going to be tribulation. Watch the warnings and don't freak out in the midst of it or rail at the world, or get all self-righteous, but simply learn obedience to Jesus. Third thing, the love of God makes us light in life in multiple ways. Uh, one, it gives God's people a bit of a levity. 
because we know where the story's going. We know who wins. And that gives an incredible power and joy today. We don't have to be so serious and so somber. And yes, life is heavy and grief is a lot and there's seasons of that, but there's this joy that Jesus has overcome it all. This is John chapter 16 as Jesus is preparing the disciples for his death and resurrection. He says this, John 16, 31 through 33, Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. They're freaking out. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Like I think it's the New King James. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Then Matthew, chapter 11, verse 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Jesus, make us like kids. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And listen to this invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus promises us joy. He promises us companionship. And that transforms our lives into a demonstration of his love. You could go to Matthew 5 for homework. You are salt, you are light. Fourth, so roots in reality, watch the warnings. Love makes us light. Hope for humanity. This is hard for me as a deeply uh, cynical person that I've already talked about today. Um, Hope for humanity is this, that Jesus is one day going to make all things new and call all people into judgment. He's going to do all of that. In the in-between, he has not given us the position or authority of judge, though we're really good at playing that role. Of who's in, of who's out. Of who's good, of who's bad. Of who's worthy, of who's not. He doesn't give us that position. He simply calls us to see the image of God in people and love them there. John Calvin, one of the greatest theologians, and if you have a problem with Calvinism, I get that, and I'm maybe partly there with you. Read the actual institutes, because Calvin, it's much broader than five points. But that's another coffee for another time, and if you think I'm saying something, I'm not. I'm just saying Calvin's brilliant, and read this quote, because you wouldn't, this doesn't sound like most Calvinists. That's what I'm saying. In this way, okay, Only we attain to what is not to say difficult, but altogether against nature, and that is this, to love those that hate us, render good for evil, blessing for cursing, remembering that we are not to reflect on the wickedness of men, but to look at the image of God in them. 
an image which covering and obliterating their faults should by its beauty and dignity allure us to love and embrace them. You guys know any Calvinists that haven't read Calvin? Because Calvinists love to reflect on the wickedness of men <laughs> a lot. That's a T, it starts, total depravity um, of Tulip. But, but do you see that tendency in yourself? That's in me. And God calls us not to see only that, yes, the world is broken, but to see the image of God in every single human creature, every single human being, and live for love there. Then fifth, finally, and I'll get out the way. Patience with the process. I wish I could accelerate this whole thing in some ways. And I'm so grateful that God has been patient with me in this process, patient with us in this process. And it's good to reflect on the speed with which God has gone into the world from creation to today with his people. Peter talks about that, that God is not slack concerning his promise. As some can count slackness, he's not willing or wanting that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why he hasn't returned, because he's more patient than me and you. And that's really, really good news. It's really, really good news. And so we, may we go at the pace of grace and learn how to go with the grain of the universe and lean into the wisdom of love. Do you see the wisdom of God's love for you this morning? Do you see his eyes, his gaze upon you? The sacrificial, selfless, rehumanizing love that God has for you is looking to shape and heal and hold you and mold you and send you into the world as a force of love, whatever that may look like this week as you enter into whatever this Thanksgiving week may look like for you. If you giggle under your breath, that's because you have a difficult family. Beth? <laughs> Not gonna name names or point fingers? That's you, Anthony, she's talking about you. Let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you that you demonstrate your love in so many ways. That you don't settle for words, but you have entered in and shown us love and patience and grace. And we see that in the cross. We find power in the resurrection and we ask that that would shape our lives today that we would learn from you and that would deeply and profoundly impact our lives today, this week, and into eternity. And so help us now as we respond in Christ's name we pray, amen.